Inscriptions and Chapter One of the Shepherd of the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emily Jomard. The Shepherd of the Hills by Harold Bell Wright. Inscriptions. To Francis, my wife. In memory of that beautiful summer in the Ozark Hills, when, so often, we followed the old trail around the rise of Mutton Hollow, the trail that is nobody knows how old, and from Sammy's lookout watched the day go over the western ridges. That all with one consent praise newborn gods, though they are made and molded of things past, and give to dust that is a little guilt more laud than guilt or dusted. Troilus and Cressida, Act Three, Scene Three. Chapter One, The Stranger. It was corn planting time when the stranger followed the old trail into the Mutton Hollow neighborhood. All day a fine rain had fallen steadily, and the mists hung heavy over the valley. The lower hills were wrapped as in a winding sheet dank and cold. The trees were dripping with moisture. The stranger looked tired and wet. By his dress, the man was from the world beyond the ridges, and his carefully tailored clothing looked strangely out of place in the mountain wilderness. His form stooped a little in the shoulders, perhaps with weariness, but he carried himself with the unconscious air of one long used to a position of conspicuous power and influence, and, while his well-kept hair and beard were strongly touched with white, the brown, clear-lighted eyes that looked from under their shaggy brows told of an intellect unclouded by the shadows of many years. It was a face marked deeply by pride, pride of birth, of intellect, of culture, the face of a scholar and poet. But it was more. It was the countenance of one fairly staggering under a burden of disappointment and grief. As the stranger walked, he looked searchingly into the mists on every hand, and paused frequently, as if questioning the proper course. Suddenly he stepped quickly forward. His ear had caught the sharp ring of a horse's shoe on a flint rock somewhere in the mists on the mountainside above. It was Jed Holland coming down the trail with a week's supply of cornmeal in a sack across his horse's back. As the figure of the traveler emerged from the mists, the native checked his horse to greet the newcomer with the customary salutation of the backwoods. Howdy! The man returned Jed's greeting cordially, and, resting his satchel on a rock beside the narrow path, added, I am very glad to meet you. I fear that I am lost. The voice was marvelously pure, deep, and musical, and, like the brown eyes, betrayed the real strength of the man, denied by his gray hair and bent form. The tones were as different from the high-keyed, slurring speech of the backwoods, as the gentleman himself was unlike any man Jed had ever met. The boy looked at the speaker in wide-eyed wonder. He had a queer feeling that he was in the presence of a superior being. Throwing one thin leg over the old mare's neck, and waving a long arm up the hill, and to the left, Jed drawled. 
That there's Dewey Ball. Down yonder's Mutton Holler. Then, turning a little to the right and pointing into the mist with the other hand, he continued, Compton Ridge is over there. Where was you trying to get to, mister? Where am I trying to get to? As the man repeated Jed's question, he drew his hand wearily across his brow. I... I... It doesn't much matter, boy. I suppose I must find some place where I can stay tonight. Do you live near here? Nope, Jed answered. It's a right smart piece to where I live. This here's grindin' day, and I've been to mill over on Fall Creek. The Matthews mill it is. It'll be plumb dark yen I get home. I allowed you as a stranger in these parts soon as I catch sight of you. What might your name be, mister? The other, looking back over the way he had come, seemed not to hear Jed's question, and the native continued, Mine's Holland. Pap and ma'am they come from Tennessee. Pap, he's down the back now, and ain't right pert, but he'll be round a little, I reckon. Preachin' Bill he allows it's good for a feller to be down the back once in a while. Says if it weren't for that we'd get to standin' so darn proud and straight we'd go plumb over backwards. A bitter smile crossed the face of the older man. He evidently applied the native's philosophy in a way unguessed by Jed. Very true. Very true indeed, he mused. Then he turned to Jed, and asked, "'Is there a house near here?' "'Jim Lane lives up the trail bout half a quarter. Ever hear tell of Jim?' "'No, I've never been in these mountains before.' "'Aloud maybe you'd heard tell of Jim or Sammy. There's them that lows Jim knows a heap more about old man Dewey's cave than he lets on, his place being so nigh. Reckon you know about Colonel Dewey, him the ball up there's named for?' Maybe you come to look for the big mine they say is in the cave. I'll help you hunt it if you want me to, mister. No, said the other. I'm not looking for mines of lead or zinc. There is greater wealth in these hills and forests, young men. Law, you don't say. Jim Wilson all is loud there must be gold in these here mountains, cause they're so dad burned rough. Let me help you, mister. I'd like mighty well to get some clothes like them. I do not speak of gold, my boy, the stranger answered kindly. But I must not keep you longer, or darkness will overtake us. Do you think this Mr. Lane would entertain me? Jed pushed a hand up under his tattered old hat, and scratched a while before he answered. Don't know about the entertainin', mister, but most anybody would take you in. He turned and looked thoughtfully up the trail. I don't guess Jim's to home, though, "'cause I seed Sammy a-fixin' to go over to the Matthewses when I come past. "'You know the Matthewses, I reckon?' "'There was a hint of impatience now in the deep voice. "'No, I told you I had never been in these mountains before. "'Will Mr. Matthews keep me, do you think?' "'Jed, who was still looking up the trail, suddenly leaned forward, "'and pointing into the timber to the left of the path, "'said in an exciting whisper, "'Look at that, mister! Yonder there by that big rock!' The stranger, looking, thought he saw a form, weird and ghost-like in the mist, flitting from tree to tree, but even as he looked it vanished among the hundreds of fantastic shapes in the gray forest. "'What is it?' he asked. The native shook his head. "'Durned if I know, mister. You can't tell.' There's mighty strange things stirrin' on this here mountain, and in the holler down yonder. 
"'Say, mister, did you ever see a hant?' The gentleman did not understand. "'A hant, a ghost some calls him,' explained Jed. "'Bud Wilson, he sure seed old Matt's,' the other interrupted. "'Really, young man, I must go. It is already late, and you know I have yet to find a place to stay for the night.' "'Law, well, that's all right, mister,' replied Jed. "'Ain't no call to worry. Stay anywhere. Where do you live when you're to home?' Again Jed's question was ignored. "'You think, then, that Mr. Matthews will keep me?' "'Law, yes, they'll take anybody in. I know they're to home cause they was a-fixin' to leave the mill when I left bout an hour ago. Was the river up much when you come across?' As the native spoke he was still peering uneasily into the woods. "'I did not cross the river. How far is it to this Matthews place, and how do I go?' "'Just foller this old trail.' "'It'll take you right there. Good road all the way. About three mile, I'd say. "'Did you come from Springfield, or St. Louis, maybe?' "'The man lifted his satchel from the rock as he answered, "'No, I do not live in either Springfield or St. Louis. "'Thank you very much for your assistance. "'I will go on now, for I must hurry, or night will overtake me, "'and I shall not be able to find the path.' "'Oh, it's a heap ladder when you get up on the hill above the fog,' said Jed. "'lowering his leg from the horse's neck, "'and settling the meal-sack, preparatory to moving. "'But I'd a heap rather it was you than me a-goin' up on doing to-night.' "'He was still looking up the trail. "'Reckon you must be from Kansas City or Chicago. "'I heard tell they're mighty big towns.' "'The stranger's only answer was a curt, "'Good-bye,' as his form vanished in the mist.' Jed turned and dug his heels vigorously in the old mare's flanks as he ejaculated softly, "'Well, I'll be da-dern. Must be from New York, sure.' Slowly the old man toiled up the mountain, up from the mists of the lower ground to the ridge above, and as he climbed, unseen by him, a shadowy form flitted from tree to tree in the dim, dripping forest. As the stranger came in sight of the lane cabin, a young woman on a brown pony rode out of the gate and up the trail before him, and when the man reached the open ground on the mountain above and rounded the shoulder of the hill, he saw the pony far ahead, loping easily along the little path. A moment he watched, and horse and rider passed from sight. The clouds were drifting far away. The western sky was clear with the sun still above the hills. In an old tree that leaned far out over the valley, a crow shook the wet from his plumage and dried himself in the warm light, while far below the mists rolled, and on the surface of that gray sea the traveler saw a company of buzzards wheeling and circling above some dead thing hidden in its depth. Wearily the man followed the old trail toward the Matthews place, and always as he went, in the edge of the gloomy forest, flitted that shadowy form. End of chapter 1